Good evening, everyone. So good to see all of you here. We've got a good number present. We're thankful for all of you who've come to be with us this evening. I hope that I can say something tonight that will be beneficial to you as we study this vital subject. Thank you for coming. Uh, there are, I think I have met all of you so far, but if there's someone here that I haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, understand I'm a visitor, a visitor too, and uh, I may not know you, may not be able to call your name, but if you will just please make sure that I get to know you before you leave tonight. It was October of 1347 when the Genoese trading ship docked in the Sicilian port of Messina. Most of the sailors on that ship were dead, and the few that were living uh, were gravely ill. They were infected with a bacteria carried by fleas, which caused mysterious black boils and oozed blood and pus and gave the illness its name, the Black Death or the Black Plague. That Black Plague had already taken its toll in Asia and the Middle East, and it already killed as many as 200 million people. Over the next five years, this pandemic, because of that ship docking where it did, uh, spread and killed an estimated 20 million people in Europe alone, as much as 60% of the continent's population. Understand, that's six in 10 people. The Black Death pandemic reduced the world's population by almost 25%. It created economic, social, and religious upheaval for that day. It's just really hard for us to imagine the panic that would be created by that kind of devastation, especially in an ancient world. In fact, sociologists today tell us that uh, it actually radically altered the course of human history because of the things that were done then and, and what had happened. But would you believe me if I told you that today there is a pandemic in our country and around the world that's affecting a slightly greater percentage of people than the Black Plague? According to a 2015 survey by Barner Research Group in Covenant Eyes, 63% of 18 to 30 year old men are infected by it. Again, that's six out of every 10. 21% of women 18 to 20 years old suffer from the same, suffer from its effects in one way or another. That's one out of five women that are affected by it. Now what makes this even worse is that there's only a minuscule difference in the percentages between people who are in the world and who claim no uh, religious affiliation whatsoever and those who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ. Did you, did you understand what I said? That there is almost no difference in the number of people outside of Christianity. And those people inside Christianity, by the, and I'm using that in its most general terms, who are affected by this, who suffer from its addiction. And I can almost drown you in research to prove what I am saying. Of course, I'm talking about the black plague of pornography. Now, please understand just how serious this problem is. I want you to get a hold of this. The plague of pornography is not marked by carts that are laden with dead bodies as was the bubonic plague, but it is destroying the lives of countless individuals. Suppose for a moment that like the literal black plague of the 14th century, people uh, today who suffer from addiction to pornography died within just a few days of contact. Here's people who suffer from the addiction of pornography. They're going to die in just a few days. That would be six out of every ten people that you know. 
These are people you go to school with. These are people you work with. These are people that you meet every day at the grocery store. They would be dead or dying. One out of five women. But think about how this would be devastating to family units. Think how devastating this would be to churches. Think about how devastating this would be to the community of Jesse. This would change social structures. It would destroy economies and bring nations to their knees, perhaps even destroying many nations with this taking place. And the effects of pornography, they're real and they're visible. Marriages and, and families are destroyed because of it. Adultery is encouraged. Jobs are lost to it. Violent sexual crimes such as rape and incest are glorified. Churches are robbed of their servants. Several years ago now, we went about there in South Coleman to uh, appoint some deacons, and we had uh, certainly one man that stood out head and shoulders, one young man above so many others. He just appeared to be for all the world. Uh, one of the finest young men that I've ever met, raising one of the finest, finest families, ha having a sweet wife, everything appeared great on the outside. But he came to us one night before we could put his name before the congregation to actually be uh, examined. He came to us and said, I, I, can't, I cannot become a deacon. And he told us why. And it broke our hearts. And there are people who live under the constant shame of pornography's bondage. It's happening every day. And this is not just a man's problem. It's everyone's battle. It's a battle we all need to fight. And with God's help, we'll win. Now, my approach tonight is going to be really simple. We're going to define what the problem is. A problem that's well-defined is a problem that is uh, half-defeated. Uh, we're going to then examine what the Bible has to say about it. But I'm not going to leave us there. I want to talk about a plan that we can have that will be effective in overcoming it. So let's begin by talking about what is pornography. Let's define it. The etymology of the word itself gives us a good beginning to the definition. Uh, the word uh, comes from two different Greek words, porne, which is uh, the word for prostitute in the Greek language, and graphene, which means to write. Hence, pornography is uh, writing about prostitutes. It's a description of prostitutes and their trade, and today it would be graphically represented as such. Now, the dictionary helps us here. Back in 1973, the American Heritage Dictionary said that pornography was written, graphic, or other forms of communication intended to excite lascivious feelings. Webster, just a year or two early, later, said, written, graphic, and other uh, material intended solely to excite feelings of sexual lust and usually considered obscene. And then when we come to 2017, the dictionary uh, definition of that word actually became more graphic itself. The American Heritage Dictionary says that pornography means sexually explicit writing, images, or video, or other material whose primary purpose is called sexual arousal. So that's the dictionary definition of, of pornography. Pornography, of course, is usually divided into uh, two different types. One is softcore uh, pornography, where you, uh, that's traditionally been defined as including nudity and simulated sexual acts without showing any details. Then there's called hardcore pornography, which shows just anything and everything that you can imagine, and it seems like then some. Now, regarding views regarding what is and is not pornography, has changed a lot through the years, as you might be able to uh, imagine. Uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court one time, Stuart Potter, 
was asked how he would define pornography, and he said, "If I can't define it, I know what I know it when I see it. I may not be able to put words to it to define it, but I absolutely know it when I see it." But I really wonder if we really do. Do we really know it when we see it? The pornography of a generation ago is today's TV advertisement. Uh, there's little doubt but what, what, that we've become desensitized to softcore pornography. And with the explicit nature of today's television, theater, and, and the internet, it takes more and more to shock us. It's kind of become a, a sliding scale. Uh, the sense of what is harmful and sinful keeps changing and moving toward more and more explicit material. I remember when Elvis Presley movies first come out. Some of you may hardly know who Elvis Presley is. But I remember preachers standing up. I know your dad did it, Mark. Stood up and he would condemn anybody watching the Elvis Presley movie because of what they, what they showed and the moves that the bodies made in that. But you know, that's changed. It's, in fact, that's, that's mild compared to, uh, that's considered family viewing compared to what you see nowadays in so many other places. And one is made to wonder just how long it will be before uh, sadomasochism and maybe bestiality uh, may be the only pornography that people won't watch. But I feel that in large part we're already there. Barna again said 29% of born-again adults in the U.S. feel it morally acceptable to view movies with explicit sexual behavior. That's people that are supposed to be Christians. Almost 30% of them say seeing this, watching this on television in your home or in a movie house, that's, that's acceptable. Not to me. All I can say is we've come a long way. I'm about to date myself. We've come a long way since Ward and June pleaded. I know that we have. Furthermore, we haven't yet seen the full effect of easy access to pornography and the effect that, that, uh, that that's had on the millennial generation over the last 25 years. We, we really don't know yet, not fully, what easy access to pornography, how it's going to affect our neighborhoods. We're beginning to see it. We're beginning to see some of the things that take place, but we'll know a whole lot more in the next five to ten years about that itself. Well, the word pornography is a word that obviously is not found in the Bible, but it's certainly described and it's uh, presented as evil. It's presented really in two terms in the Word of God. It's presented by the word impurity. Now, the word impurity in the Greek language is akartharsia. Akartharsia. And that's translated impurity in the New American Standard. And if you're reading uh, the Old American Standard or the New King James, it's translated uncleanness. That's the word from which we get our term catharsis. Catharsis is a cleansing. But in the Greek language, if you put an alpha, which is uh, comparable to our A, let's say that, uh, if you put the alpha in front of the word, then it means exactly the opposite of what the root word means. If catharsis is a cleansing, then a catharsis is an impurity. It's something that is filthy. Bedag says that this word's mean, the word means a, a state of moral corruption, immorality, vileness, especially of sexual uh, sins. Leonidas says that it means the state of moral impurity, especially in relationship to sexual sin, impurity, immorality, and filthiness. Now, beyond just the English definition of that word, all we have to do is look at how it's used in the Bible, and we can see how evil it is. For example, in Romans chapter 1, 
In Romans chapter 1, Paul is talking about the generation of Gentiles who had left God. And he said, for the wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. And then verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Verse 32 would say those who practice such things are worthy of death. And this word impurity here is a word where, for, uh, where uh, uh, pornography would fit into. It's the definition, really, or one of the definitions of impurity. It's just the perfect picture of impurity if there's anything such, anything such like Ephesians 5 in verse 3, Paul said, But immorality or any impurity must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. God wants you to know, church. God wants you to know that this is not to be named among us. It's not to be there. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul said, beginning in verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Verse 7 says, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So if you want to know two terms that are opposite of one another, being sanctified, sanctification, is the very opposite of what we're talking about tonight. Pornography and impurity. There's another word that is also very important for us to consider, and that's the word sensuality. It's defined by Swanson as debauchery, licentiousness, lewdness, that is, unrestrained in moral attitudes and behaviors. And again, it's important for us to look at what the Scripture has to say about that. But before we do, let's talk just a little bit about those English definitions. Sometimes I will read a definition, and then I'll have to say to myself, what does that definition mean? And in order to be able to understand it, I have to go just a little bit deeper in my dictionary and see what some of those words mean. The word debauchery means extreme indulgence of one's appetites, especially for sensual pleasure, dissipation. The word licentiousness means lacking in willpower or moral discipline or, or being promiscuous, prone to random sex or unwilling to conform to accepted rules. Lewdness means the quality of being very sexual or lustful in an offensive way. And this is a perfect description of what pornography actually is. The evils of pornography are displayed in such passages as Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, where the Bible says, From within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. Now certainly fornication is, is an act, but as this text says, we're going to describe even further in a little bit, it's a problem with the mind. That's where it begins. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter warned, for the time already is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, that is in the past, You've pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable her uh, heresies, uh, or rather abominable idolatries. He said, the time has passed for you to have done that. 
Peter was talking about false teachers in 2 Peter chapter 2. And he said in verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, many who will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blind. So there, this was a characteristic of false teachers of Peter's days. So there's no truth, uh, no doubt rather, that pornography is included in these words. And because of that, it is sinful and it is condemned by God. Let's look just a little bit deeper and, and ask, why is pornography sin? Why would God label that as sin? Well, we can begin by saying that Jesus condemned the lustful look. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about the relationship between lust and adultery on, uh, on Saturday morning. But let's just simply say here that, that lust is not adultery. But lust and looking to see, that is the same thing as pornography. And that is wrong. Paul called it a deed or a work of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. When he actually uses two different words, the two words we've already discussed, to describe uh, their actions. He said, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, and sensuality. He's looking at it from the same sin from two different, situ from two different, uh, uh, from two different standpoints. It is impure in the sense that it defiles a person. It's impure in the sense that it calls him to be morally, uh, morally unclean. It is sensual in where it comes from, in that it arises from the baser sensual desires of, of someone, from the desires of, of the flesh rather than uh, his high moral and spiritual intellect. And he says that those who practice such things, and even such things like these things in this text, will not see the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's why it's called sin of the Bible. John says it's something that is of the world. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, he said, Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes of the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. You want to know why? God considers it's a sin. It not only is a deed or work of the flesh, it is also of the world. Peter describes its addictive nature in the book of 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 14. He's referring to the false prophets in that same passage we mentioned just a few moments ago, but in verse 14, he said that they have eyes full of adultery. These men who are looking with their eyes, seeing things that no man has a right to lay his eyes on, he says they have eyes full of adultery. In their sensuality, this is described in verse 2, they've reached the point that the only way they can look at a woman is to uh, is as an object of their lustful eyes. Every woman they see, they're checking her out from top to bottom. They're looking at her as an object of lust rather than who she is. Now when something is said to be addictive, that means that it enslaves one to his habits. And people get caught up in pornography and can't let it go. What happens? It gets a hold of them. 
And when one looks at pornography, there are no less than five hormones that are actually released into the system of the body. Uh, and and it's uh, these hormones that the body craves. They are uh, dopamine, uh, norepinephrine, norepinephrine uh, testosterone, oxytocin, and serotonin. You take any one of those hormones that are released into your system and you feel good. But you take all five of them together being released into your system and it's like a drug cocktail. They produce a, a tremendous high within a person. And the more this physical high is experienced, the more it's craved, the more that you want it. But unfortunately, it's like a lot of other drugs. It's like any other physical drug. It takes more and more to produce the high the body craves. The more you see, the more it takes to produce that high. Thus, pornography drags one deeper and deeper and deeper into its grasp. Pornography is a sin because of its addictive nature. Pornography is a sin because it's a gateway to other sins. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, you remember the story? That it happened in the spring, beginning in verse 1, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Even our children who studied the story of David and Bathsheba know what happened. A lustful look caused David to covet. He went from coveting to committing adultery, and then he uh, sank into deception, and then ultimately he committed the murder of having uh, Uriah, the son of uh, the Uriah, the Hittite, uh, killed. Multiplied stories could be recounted to men caught up in pornography. I know some of those stories. Where for whatever reason, they may have been unsatisfied at home and they got involved in pornography and they turned to uh, prostitutes and even further into sexual perversion. I'm going to tell you the strongest response. I've been preaching the gospel for over 50 years. The strongest response I have ever received to a sermon from a standpoint of just eating me up, was one day in a city in a state north of here, I went to the back after preaching a lesson on pornography and there was a man out there that just really raked me over the coals for preaching. It's not because he didn't think that uh, uh, pornography was a sin. It was He was justifying his son in the sin that he was committing. There was one law enforcement officer speaking of pornography on a uh, just a purely secular level. He said, I've never picked up a juvenile sex, sex offender who didn't have this stuff with him in his car or in his house. You know, it's not to say that every uh, juvenile sex offender had pornography, but he said, I've never seen one. Every juvenile sex, sex offender started out with pornography. I want to suggest to you also that pornography cheapens and degrades the beauty of women. It presents a woman as nothing more than the object of a lustful thought or sexual desire. Read with me from 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter says here, And let not your adornment, speaking to women, but let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is present, precious in the sight of God. What is to be treasured about a woman is not her physical beauty. It is her spirit. It, it, it's not her physical appearance. 
but rather her spiritual nature and the kind of woman that she is. Proverbs 31 describes for us the virtuous woman, the excellent woman in that passage. And as it describes her, it says nothing about her physical beauty. It tells us every bit, everything we want to know about her character. The only thing that even resembles her, anything that would be physical about this, is the clothing that she makes for herself and for her children. You think about Ruth in Ruth chapter 3 and verse 11. Ruth is this same kind of excellent woman. In fact, the very same word that Boaz uses to describe Ruth. He says, all the people around know this is the excellent woman you are. The very same Hebrew word is used to talk about the excellent woman. In Ruth, and about Ruth, it's used to talk about the excellent woman. So Ruth is a living example of what an excellent woman would be like. But then I want to suggest to you that it also cheapens and, and degrades the beauty of human sexuality. You know, it's with everything God created, He pronounced His blessing of goodness upon Adam and Eve and the physical desires He placed within them. There is a lawful outlet for every physical desire that a man's, man has. The only lawful outlet that I know for the release and enjoyment of, sexual, of the sexual relationship is within marriage. The writer of Hebrews said, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. There is a beauty of physical intimacy inside marriage that surpasses pleasure. It describes, it's described by God as that one flesh relationship in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. We'll talk again more about that in that sermon on, on Saturday morning. He said the two shall become one flesh. Now becoming one flesh involves physical intimacy. And that's the side of it we're going to be talking about on Saturday but it's certainly not limited to physical intimacy. Married, that marriage, that initial marriage between Adam and Eve, uh, that, that brings to the relationship, that one flesh relationship, besides consummation, two people that are melded into one unit, uh, one that is divisible only by God. It's a unit that far surpasses any single act of sex. Uh, and fulfills everything God promised and provides in the marriage unit. We're talking about affection. We're talking about companionship and pleasure and social stability and so much more that we talk about. On the other hand, you take that act outside the bonds of marriage and you have there uh, sex that glorifies, uh, that sex is glorified without marriage, sex is uh, without love, and it is without commitment and without affection. That's what you see in the world of pornography. We live in a society that is bewildered by the fact that men and women can't seem to get along. But look at what they're seeing in the media. No matter what you read, no matter what you see on television or the movies, here's the truth. Sexual relationships without love, commitment, affection, and marriage do not produce happiness or fulfillment. They may produce pleasure for a moment. But in the end, it's going to be as bitter as wormwood and it's going to produce nothing but misery. This newfound sexual freedom that people talk about, that so many have been uh, discussing and so many have promoted, is not sexual freedom at all, really. What it is is sexual bondage and it, provide, it produces a bitter fruit that many advocates uh, never really intended. So let's talk for just a little bit about how we can then overcome this sin. How can we overcome from our 
it is, if it is such a, a terrible thing, and it is, then there certainly has to be a plan in order to be able to come out uh, of this, this sin. And to win the battle of pornography, against pornography, I believe that there is at least three things that you have to be convinced of. You have to be convinced that uh, pornography and its consequences are, are very dangerous to, to you and to others around you. You have to be convinced of the possibility of being able to defeat the sexual temptation that it is. And you have to be convinced of the value and the availability of eternal life. So let's look at these and some other things. You've got to believe that it can be overcome. You know, Paul told uh, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. Let's stop right there. There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. You think this is unique to you or unique to this generation? No, it's been around for ever since man has. It's as common as man. And he says, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you'll be able to endure it. So, there is always a way. Now, it may be that uh, it's a difficult uh, thing for you to see, especially in the beginnings you start looking for. But it's there. The way to get over this uh, temptation, the temptation of pornography, is there, and you have to believe it's there. And you have to believe that you can overcome it. So many who fall prey to a pornography snare just say, I, I just can't quit. It's just there. Oh, yes, you can. There are things you can do, and you have to believe you can do it before you'll ever be able to overcome it. The second thing that we need to understand is that the fight against pornography is, first of all, a, a fight against the mind. It has nothing to do with the computer. It has nothing to do with the printed page. Not in the beginning. Where it happens, where it takes place, is in the mind. The mind is the battleground for purity. That's where, that's where that is. And we have to realize that. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, and adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality. These things come from the heart. And these are things that Jesus said defile the man. We need to remember that. It comes, begins first with the heart. And then I want to suggest to you, James said in James chapter 1 and verse 14, but each one is tempted when he's carried away by, and enticed by his own lust. So that's where it comes from, you see. It begins with lust, and then lust, when it is conceived, is going to bring forth the deed. And so we've got to watch over our hearts with all diligence, as the wise man said in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. As we mentioned just a few moments ago, I believe uh, Mark mentioned it, uh, as we sung pure in heart, uh, the beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God. In the third place, I would suggest that you need to find the motivation in order to be able to overcome this sin. You need to look for it. And finding the, uh, the will to overcome addiction is, is going to be difficult, but it can be done. It's an absolute must. I want to give you an illustration or two. Suppose for a moment that each and every one in this auditorium is under the power of pornography's temptation. You're there. The physical desire is within you, more powerful than it's ever been in your life, and you believe that you can't resist the temptation to do that next click and look at some pornography online. It's right there. How in the world can I overcome this? 
I want you to think at the same time that at that moment, a, a black hooded ISIS member drags your spouse or your mother into the room with a knife to his or her throat and says, if you look at that website, I will slit his throat. I think at that moment you would find the strength not to make that click. I think at that moment you would realize that there's something more important than looking at pornography. And when something is more important to you than physical pleasure, you'll find the power to resist it. Or, if a man walked into the room and said, if you do not look at that pornography, if you don't make that next click, I'll give you a million dollars cash, tax-free, and I'll give it to you right now. I suspect that just about everybody would say, I don't have to make that next click. I, I'm, I'm not going to do it. You would suddenly find the self-control that you thought you didn't have before, even moments before. And again, the point I want to make is when something more is more important to you than that physical pleasure, something is more important to you than looking at that pornography, then you can stop it. Now, what is it? Or what should it be, at least, that's more important to you than any physical pleasure? Obviously, there are a lot of things that should be more important to you, but chief among them is your relationship with God. That should be more important to you than any single physical pleasure. Obviously, uh, no matter how secret you think your sin is, you need to remember that God is the one who is watching you. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23 and verse 24, Jeremiah said, Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, says the Lord? I have another sermon on pornography that, uh, that I, I use. And in the graphics, I have a man in the dark looking into a lighted screen. Uh, and presumably what he's looking at is something he shouldn't be seeing. All dark. No one else has known what's going on. It's private. But he's looking at that screen. But what he fails to realize is, as we sometimes sing, it's not in these books, but we used to sing, there's an all-seeing eye watching you all along on the road. The soul's true abode. There's an eye watching you. And there is. And that eye is God. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, the Hebrew writer said, all things are open and laid bare before him with whom we have to do God sees everything. He's omniscient. And even those private moments when you think nobody else knew, God knew. But I want to suggest to you that in the fourth place, we've got to make a covenant with ourselves and, and with God. We've got to be like Job in the old days when he said in Job 31 and verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze at a virgin? I like the uh, NIV translation of that. It said, I, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. And that's exactly what he's talking about. It's a sad thing that just a few days ago, there was a bust in uh, Athens, Alabama. And in that bust was at least one Christian who got involved in child pornography and the luring of children into uh, a sex ring. It's sad. And one of them was a, supposed to be a brother in Christ. He should have made that commitment. David said in Psalm 101, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. You know what? I think it would be really good for all of us 
to take a piece of paper and write that or type it, however you want to do it. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes and put it right beside your computer. Frame it. Put it right beside your computer. And even put it right beside your television screen. So that every time you're tempted to look at something that you shouldn't, you would see those words of the psalmist. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. And keep these covenant promises constantly before you. Then I want to suggest to you that you need to place controls on access to pornography. You know, the wise man said in Proverbs chapter 4, Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it. Pass on. Don't have anything to do. Don't have any access to evil at all. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28, Controlling your access to porn may mean that you have to take real stiff measures. You know, if he says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. Paul, I think in almost a commentary on this, says in Romans 13 and verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. So whatever it is you have to do, to limit or completely cut off access to pornography is what you need to do. Of course, people access pornography in different ways. Some buy it at, the, at a physical location, other uh, view or subscribe to pornography, porn, uh, pornographic websites. Uh, some access it through friends. But eliminating access to pornography may involve some <coughs> radical changes because it is so pervasive in our nature. In our, in our culture. You may have to remove all vestiges of pornography from your home and your workplace, uh, anything that reminds you of its availability. Move your computer into a room where everybody can see what's on the screen. That will limit it. Parents can create pack, uh, password access to the internet on computers, phones, and tablets in order to protect their children. I have no idea why any parent, this is we talked about opinions the other day just briefly. This is an opinion. And on just about everything, I've got ten of them, just like my toes. And some of them stink. Okay? But this is my opinion here on this matter here. You need to make sure that you don't give your child a smartphone until you can make sure that everything that is accessing it is absolutely blocked. There's no reason why a 13, 14, 15-year-old child should have access to a smartphone and all of this stuff, and believe you me, they can get it in just a few clicks and know exactly where it is. You need to protect your children. You may get mad at me for saying that. The children may get mad at me for saying that, and your parents may take your phone away from you, but that's a good thing because they're protecting you. And then I want to suggest to you that you can use filtering software. There is a company called Covenant Eyes, and there are actually several companies that, that do a good job with this. It's called Covenant Eyes, and it, it offers filtering, <coughs> filtering programs that are really, really good at, uh, at, at cutting that stuff away from access uh, to you by your children. And it may cost you a little bit, but the cost involved is, is nominal, and it lets you set the rules to block certain things, which is also uh, a, a good thing. And uh, there's also monitoring software that records internet activity that sends the log to someone else. Now, if you don't have everything blocked on your kid's phone, you need to get covenant eyes. 
Because what you can do is this. If you see any, if they see anything that they shouldn't look at, it automatically sends that message to you and it dings your phone and you can look at it, you can see what they're looking at and you can stop it right there. That's pretty, it's pretty impressive. Now I'll tell you something uh, just personal about this. Uh, I'm going to be talking about accountability partners here in just a second. I am the accountability partner with uh, a young man. That young man has had a problem. He's got a beautiful young wife, beautiful uh, young family. He's got a child and another one on the way. But he's got a problem with pornography. And so I recommended Covenant Eyes to him. And I sent him to a uh, counselor to talk about it. And he has uh, done very well with it. And uh, every time there is anything that even remotely resembles pornography that, that comes up on his phone, it sends me a notice of it. And you know, I, everything that uh, it has sent is really nothing at all. It's just something that ju it just almost assumed might be pornography. But when it showed up on me, uh, it showed up on my phone, I knew it wasn't. And he didn't want, he, he would not have wanted me to see him looking at pornography, and he knows that I, I would. And so that becomes a, a sixth thing, and the last thing we'll talk about tonight, and that is uh, having an accountability partner. You know, the Bible teaches that there are times when we need help to be able to overcome problems that we have. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, I'm going to show you something that I think uh, sometimes we miss when we look at this verse. Paul said, Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And so I think we've quoted that first part of that verse an awful lot, flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And kind of overlooked that second part where it says, with those who call on the Lord. And so this is something that we're doing together. And so in, in order to be able to uh, flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, I may need the help of somebody who's walking that road with me to hold me accountable for it. In Galatians 6, verse 1, the Bible says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you are a spiritual restorer such a one. To restore someone, you've got to know what they're going through. You've got to be able to help them with it. And you've got to be there to strengthen them. Confess your sins to one another. James said in James chapter 5 and verse 16, again, the idea is this one another accountability. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12, the wise man said, if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. So sometimes we need that help. The term accountability partner is a relatively new term. Uh, it gained wide use in the 1990s, and while the term may be that new, uh, according to passages like those we just read, the concept is really not at, at all. By definition, an accountability partner is one who helps another adhere to uh, specific morals or certain behaviors. Sometimes that word is used in uh, a business setting. Uh, maybe even you team up with someone to hold one another accountable for doing certain things and getting certain things done. Businesses, industries have used that for, in some places, for some time. And it's good. Now, in our context, the accountability partner is someone to whom you're going to give permission, thus someone with some authority, to hold you accountable for your actions. Permission to ask you specific questions about your behavior. 
Someone to whom you can go to in a moment of temptation. Not merely someone who a couple of weeks later is going to ask you how you've been doing and, and what you've been watching, but someone with a certain level of maturity who can say, what's going on with you right now? How are you doing right now? Someone who's not going to confer, con, uh, coerce a confession from you because the responsibility of that confession belongs to uh, the person with the problem and not the accountability person. I've taught many times that the Lord's church, the local church, is a spiritual support group. And we're supposed to help one another. And whatever problem we may have, and one of those problems, quite likely, is pornography. As Christians, we're taught to follow Jesus Christ. We're taught to follow uh, His example, uh, follow His example in His action, and even in His words. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. His attitudes. We're supposed to have even Jesus' thoughts in our mind. I want to ask you something. Would Jesus place His stamp of approval on things that would pollute the mind? Can you picture Jesus trolling the internet looking for pornography? Can you picture Jesus thinking the thoughts that such viewing would evoke? If that's the case, then neither should Christians. Jesus spent His life exposing the deeds of darkness. So it's not surprising that His disciples are commanded to do the same. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Pornography is indeed a plague. But you don't have to be its victim. Pornography is eating the heart out of a lot of Christians that I know. To be honest with you, I, I hope that it is different, and I pray that it is, but it would kind of surprise me if we didn't have somebody here that was involved in it. And it's just that's how that that's how prevalent the sin of pornography, viewing pornography, really is. Every church I know. That has any awareness of it all, uh, at all, realize that there's some people that they have that's struggling with. I hope you're different. I pray that you are. There may be someone here this afternoon, this evening, that needs to obey the gospel. It's a good time for you to give Jesus your heart and life. You struggle with this problem or any other problem, not just this one. We're here to help you, and I know there are people here who will do their very best to strengthen you. If you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, there's no better time than right now to do it. If you've been baptized and, and you've been uh, caught up in some things you shouldn't be caught up in and you need help, if you'll repent of your sins, confess these sins to those that you've wronged, we'll pray with you and for you that God will forgive you of your sins. We know He will because He said that He would. So if you need to respond to the invitation, won't you make it known? All together we stand with all the same.